The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. This week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Horns 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined as always by Hudson Standish. And uh, it was a huge week in Austin, almost a very huge weekend. Uh, came about one point, point shy of being a uh, fantastic, perfect weekend. But before we get into the show, talking about the big Alabama game, Hudson, how's it going? It's going good, Mike. We were... One, two points away from, I'd say, by far, probably the best recruiting weekend in your history as a reporter, right? On the beat. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else would be close other than maybe the Texas OU game or, I guess, Notre Dame. But, I mean, shoot, I don't even know. Notre Dame would have been up there. Um, I would say the year Texas beat Kyler um, in the Cotton Bowl was probably up there, but yeah, I mean, oh, uh, I wouldn't count as a recruiting weekend because nobody could visit, but Sugar Bowl. Okay, fair. Uh, The reactions after that were fire. And we'll get, we'll talk about this a little bit later on the larger scale stuff, Mike, but even without the win, it's still massive. Like the amount of positive feedback we've gotten from recruits from the 2023 all the way to the 26 class has just been absolutely wild. Yeah, you know, somebody asked me about it on the board, and it's in the past we haven't done recruiting reactions after a loss, and that's because when they lose by 13 at home to Iowa State, I don't feel like that's worth grabbing uh, reactions for. Um, And we got reactions for this, and it was, oh, I thought you don't do recruiting reactions after a loss. It's like, well, obviously this was a bit of a different case. And had Bama won by 31, we wouldn't have got reactions. You know, it it was kind of a special case. Exactly. And we kind of previewed it leading up to the season. We said that there was a chance if Texas hung around that we'd probably get reactions because it would still be such a monumental, um, I guess, sign of progress for this program. And they did more than hang around. And we talked about it on the uh, Talking Texas podcast, which we'll release a day later. But you know, they really should have won the game. And the majority of recruits had the same uh, thoughts that if Quinn Ewers wouldn't have gotten hurt and if a couple of terrible breaks both in-game and with the referees would have gone the horns way. They really should have beaten number one Alabama at home in a major statement game. Listen, I wanted to get a jump on reactions. So I was sending messages out with about four or five minutes left in the game. And like only a couple of people got to me back to me before the game ended. Um, but the, yeah, every kid I talked to just about everyone was like, yeah, man, if Quinn hadn't gotten hurt, like, they'd have won. Um, so we even had one that 
shall remain nameless, who, uh, who, uh, I thought was a little too critical of Hudson Card and his quote. So I didn't, uh, didn't, didn't publish it, but, uh, said Texas almost won even with a trash bucket at quarterback. Which is so, which is so tough. Like, I think that is the thing too, with a lot of times recruits where, they kind of don't understand like, Hey buddy, like you're going to be the one getting criticized in two years. Like have some, uh, have some, I guess, empathy or sympathy for the fact that, you know, yeah. Hudson card did not play anywhere near the level that Quinn Ewers was playing, but on a bum ankle, he was doing everything he could to, to beat the number one team in the nation. Man. The thing is, is like recruits just, they don't ever they don't look ahead to their future and ever envision a scenario where they fail. And part of that's being an athlete and believing in yourself and, um, you know, having that confidence and all those sorts of things. But yeah, they, uh, in a few years, it's like, yeah, I remember some of the stuff you guys said about the current team. And there's almost an element of, there's almost an element of, Hey, when you don't have a good game at the high school level, you kind of freak out at some of the reactions from either media or your fellow high schoolers. Like, you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, well, you know, just wait your time. But anyway, I mean, overall, though, I mean, that was probably the only one that I can think of that had much negativity. Yeah, we're going to bring Guy Frazier on a little later, as we always do for the high school segment. Um, But he was at the game and he is our boots on the ground reporter from DKR this year. I'm very interested to hear his thoughts on the in-game environment, the atmosphere, because that was like the number one thing everybody said. It was like, this is the loudest I've ever heard a stadium. There were, you know, the fans were into it all the way from the beginning. Like guys even who I would say aren't prone to hyperbole, guys like Peyton Pierce, who were pretty low-key, was like, it was the loudest stadium environment I've ever heard in my life. And if you're worried that maybe it's a recruit getting caught up in the moment or it's a fan that maybe hasn't gotten to experience some of the bigger games at DKR, like the Missouri game or, you know, just some of the classics when you think of crowd noise, Will Anderson saying that it was the toughest place for him to play ever in his college career when he has been just about everywhere in big time environments, including again, a a Kyle field last year where Alabama ended up losing. So I mean, that just kind of goes to show that, you know, this isn't an overreaction uh, based on just a kind of hyped up game. This was the real deal. Well, let's get into the official visitors first. We'll start with the news that I uh, was able to break on Saturday morning, and that was unfortunately that Deuce Robinson wasn't going to make it into Austin. Um, I woke up that morning and thought, uh, okay, let's get ready for this game. And literally the first text I got was, hey, Deuce's game got rained out uh, on Friday night. They're going to play. And I, uh, it was from Blair Angulo, our West Coast guy, who said, hey, did you notice Deuce's game got rained out? <laughs> and I'm so stupid. I was like, oh, cool. So, like, did that mess up his flight? <laughs> and then he was like, uh, no, they're going to play it <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so he couldn't make it in, you know. Kind of double-edged sword. Like, obviously, it would be great for him to be there, but it's not like he just didn't see the result. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it worked out. I think you'd like to have him there with that environment, though, right? Like, that might have been a big help. I um, So, yeah, I I 
contacted somebody and confirmed he wasn't going to make it. And he, there's a lot of reasons kids miss visits. And I think people get tired of hearing, oh, they couldn't get a ride or it was this, that, or the other. But like, that's a pretty legit reason, I would say. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Your high school game uh, being on a Saturday, definitely a big one. Um, do you anything else on Deuce? I mean, I think that potentially getting him on a visit with Arch Manning and he knows that Texas can compete with Alabama. I don't know. I've always had a weird tinge of positivity for this recruitment, even though it's been a late developing one post Arch Manning uh, committing to Texas. I think the only other thing I have on Deuce is they're obviously going to try to reschedule for a game weekend in the fall. And when you look at the schedule, Texas is kind of front loaded on game weekends, right? So um, a lot of them are in this early part of the schedule. I think there's like only three or four possibilities past October when he doesn't have dates to other schools. If you're looking at it, probably realistically, I think the most realistic date is probably Baylor the day after Thanksgiving, um, which would give Texas one of the last visits uh, that, that Deuce is going to take. We think he's going to decide in December. If he decides to hold out till December, then I think that's good. I, I think you only run the risk of you would have liked to have gotten in there now if he makes an earlier decision. Absolutely, Mike. Do you want to move on to the first official visitor, uh, Mr. Jalen Hale out of Longview? Yeah, and I think you had some notes on Hale, so why don't you take that away? Absolutely. I, so Jalen Hale, with the decision, his commitment on September 21st, Heading into the weekend, I have had a crystal ball pick in for Texas for a while. But even though I feel like I've been reporting a lot of positivity uh, surrounding Texas's chances, but there was still this, you know, lingering, um, you know, thoughts of, well, he is, he did just get off of an Alabama visit. He's going to watch Alabama play again against Texas. And he kind of out of the blue scheduled a Texas A&M official. So this recruitment which we thought was a Texas lean pretty considerably there were just some questions I think Texas answered just about every single question with Hale over the weekend I mean from what I reported I believe Saturday night or early Sunday morning with uh, Hale's post-game dinner with Xavier Worthy which you want to talk about a player who doesn't get enough credit as far as being a peer recruiter Xavier Worthy after a really tough game against Alabama tons of emotions, taking the time out of his night to host Jalen Hale on a dinner, I think just says a ton about his buy-in to this program. And overall, I just think Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, Brennan Marion have kind of just crushed this recruitment. I'll go see Jalen Friday night uh, against arch rival Lufkin at a Martin State Stadium in Lufkin. I'm going to be really curious to see if he'll follow through on that Texas A&M official and kind of what the temperature is heading into next week's commitment. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. And, and you know, if you want to combo it, it's not like Texas A&M put their best foot forward offensively last week. So, um, you know, I, I think with Texas, there's a lot of what ifs, right? Like, I think that's the, the part of it is what if Quinn would have stayed healthy? What would it have looked like? But in those first couple of drives, I mean, they were able to get guys, even throughout the game, they were able to get guys open and guys to make plays after the ball. So, uh, yeah, I think it went well. And, and I do like what you mentioned about Xavier Worthy. He's been really involved in these recruitments. And it's good to see because a guy like Xavier Worthy could literally just show up on Saturday, do his thing, and then not care and just work on getting to the league. But he's – it's funny, Hud. Like, he 
he kind of had this reputation as a recruit when I would talk to people is like, well, he's selfish and he's a me guy. And a lot of people didn't like dealing with him and he's been kind of anything, anything but at, the, at this point. Absolutely. And kind of goes out of his way to create relationships with his teammates. I mean, when you ask who are some of the guys that are closest with each other on the team, I hear a ton, Xavier Worthy and Jade Barron. Um, one more thing on Jalen Hale. I'm glad you mentioned Texas A&M. I've been pretty, I've been pretty clear that for Texas A&M to have a shot, I thought that Haynes King would have to excel. And um, in general, I just kind of thought Alabama was more of the competitor. But A&M's hung around the rim. And when somebody gives you a quote that Hale gave to me to open up the season of the main thing for me, really the thing I care about most is how I'm going to be used in a college offense who can prepare me for the league and really how they put their receivers in positions to win. The dichotomy there between Texas and Texas A&M with, again, Xavier Worthy being thought of how he is across the nation and the pretty vocal, I'd say, or public uh, displeasure of uh, Evan Stewart and Chris Marshall, the A&M stud wide receivers that are true freshmen. I mean, it's, again, that one kind of speaks for itself, I think. Yeah, um, so I think that's where things are on Hale. Of course, we're going to monitor that one right up until the decision, and I would say probably right up until signing day. So uh, stick with us at Horn 24-7, and we'll have it. The other official visitor was Cecilia Kana. Um, not a ton of noise coming out of Akana's visit. Talked to some people who, who thought it went well. Um, you know, he's got, obviously, when I say he's got family in Austin, he's, his sister's there playing volleyball, and that's – you know, I think something that plays into uh, Texas uh, advantage, but they've also got family friends in the area. They've talked a lot about how they like Austin as an environment to, um, you know, where they can, they can come in and they can fly back uh, directly to Hawaii. I think it's got like direct flights out to Hawaii on the weekends. Um, and then I think it was also interesting to see Leona Lee Fowl, getting involved in that recruitment on Twitter and, and reaching out to Cecilia, who, you know, the two are, are teammates or, or ex-teammates. Uh, they were supposed to play their years together at Kahuku uh, until COVID hit. So um, that's a big need for Texas, especially at the edge. The, the thing with Akana is he's going to go through the process. He's going to take all of his visits. So I didn't expect him to shut anything down early. And it's just going to be if Texas can kind of outlast those other visits and, and if they left a good enough impression. Uh, speaking of edge rushers, Mike, you broke some pretty big news in the stampede on Monday with probably one of our favorite players. And I'll include Guy in, in on this as well, because Guy was beating the drum on Colton Vosick uh, with me super early last year. Uh, Mr. Colton Vosick out of Austin Westlake High School took a visit to Texas for the Alabama game. Yeah, talked to was just talking to sources over the weekend to get everything and how it went. And got a somebody mentioned, "Hey, you know Colton Vosick was there," and I said, oh, "No, I did not know that." And, uh, uh, you know, started to kind of dig around on it. Talked to a couple other sources who confirmed it, and, um, and I know there was some confusion of, well, his family's got season tickets. He was definitely there sitting in the recruiting area. He was on the field before the game, which means he was there as an unofficial visitor. Now, Oklahoma's got the no visit rule or whatever. Uh, I, I'm interested to see kind of how that holds up in the face of this because I, – I, I think it's holding up kind of how we anticipated where – 
if you visit somewhere else and they really care about your your signature, like if you if you're an Oklahoma commit under Brent Venables, you're not supposed to take any other visits, and he says that he'll drop you. But Colton Vosick, it basically gave some quotes to, um, I believe, Brandon Drum of our 24-7 Oklahoma site, and it seemed to be the message was, hey, just please don't do it again. So, again, like the no-visit thing is a pretty clear to me, um, if we like you enough, we'll keep your signature. But if we think that we can do better, we'll drop you. So, I mean, that one kind of just – went exactly how I thought it would be. It's tough to enforce that. Like, it, I mean, it, it's kind of silly in my mind because of just modern recruiting. But you can't really enforce it. You're going to drop Colton Vosick. Yeah, and I think, look, we're not here saying, hey, things are really heating up and they're getting interesting and they're going to flip Colton Vosick. Like, it was a big development that he came to campus on that weekend. Yeah. Any and- opportunity to get him in front of the team and to make an impression is an opportunity. That's all we're saying. Um, the Texas staff hasn't given in there. And from the people I've talked to, they feel that Colton's been good about communicating with them and, and open. So, um, you know, I think I think uh, those things matter and we'll kind of see how the season shakes out. Exactly. I think that's perfectly put. None of that surprised me. Like it was it was a great development for Texas. But considering just that Colton grew up a Texas fan, his dad played at the university. They do have season tickets. He lives in Austin. If you would have told me preseason if we had an over-under bet or something for Colton Vosick visiting Texas sometime this year, I probably would have taken the over just because it makes too much sense. And Oklahoma, while they do have a you know strong verbal from him, did materialize as kind of a last-second option where uh, Miguel Chavis did a really good job in the recruitment, but basically got him to take the uh, fi- his final official kind of on a whim. Yeah, where they were, I mean, we were monitoring Oregon. Yeah, Oregon seemed to be the seemed to be the school all um all all uh, offseason long, but then the distance kind of played the factor that it normally does with Texas players. Uh, there were a number of unofficial visitors there as well. I think the biggest in 23 was Mark Steele, who you saw on uh for last yep. week. And you know, I think Again, I was able – you talked to him before the game, and he said some glowing things. I talked to him on Sunday night, and he said some glowing things. Um, I think Texas is kind of right where they want to be in this recruitment. After late spring thinking they were out of it, you know, they're, they're kind of rounding into shape, looking like they may get the last official visit. He's going to choose between them and Oklahoma as who gets the last official visit. But I think Texas is kind of – probably has the edge uh, on that front as of right now. Um, and man, what a game for if you're if you've got Marcus Steele on campus to have your D line perform the way they did. And Bo Davis kind of called a shot uh, pregame. Like one of the quotes that Marcus Steele gave me that I really loved was, "Bo has communicated with me for two weeks in the lead up to this game that he thinks that this defensive line is coached and is executing at a level to where they can really dictate things to the Alabama offensive line." So much easier said than done, but it's exactly what they did. And the level of growth shown from guys like Moro Ajomo, Tavondre Sweat, Keandre Coburn should give a guy like Marcus Steele a ton of just confidence that, okay, it's not just a pure um, Texas has everything off the field while 
if I was going to Georgia, where he'll uh, officially visit later this month, I could be developed into an NFL player. Now, you know, it's a little bit of the idea of, hey, maybe, but this Bo Davis uh, guy who I have the best relationship of any coach, maybe he can really develop me into a first, second round NFL prospect. Yeah, and I think Bo has always kind of had the reputation when people talk about him, they're like, well, he's just a recruiter. Yeah, remember, Bo coached in the NFL. Like, he's... You don't get to coach in the NFL unless you can coach. Um, no I, recruiting necessary there. And I think what he's shown um, in the development they've shown it has been really, really strong. Uh, a couple 24s, Micah Hudson, Zeno Mazzulu. Uh, that was Zena's second straight week on campus, obviously with his brother there. You know, he's going to be a pretty frequent visitor, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um I think probably the stuff to come out of the Micah Hudson visit was was maybe the biggest, right? Mike, you know that I kind of feel like Micah Hudson in the 2024 class from Lake Belton. If you're not sure where Lake Belton High School is, it's essentially um, in Temple, Texas, uh, Belton ISD, but Temple, Texas. So that syntax area that's produced a ton of talent. And I genuinely do think that he's the best wide receiver, regardless of classification in the state. Before, I think he had half a dozen power five offers. I was comparing him to Garrett Wilson and I watched him on Friday night put on an absolute clinic, even after taking a helmet to the shin, which kept him out for a quarter and a quarter and a half against Red Oak and Warren Roberson, who we probably will talk about a little bit later. So Micah playing a really good game Friday night. I got the pre-visit stuff that was like, look, I'm just really trying to have a good time at this game, see both Texas and Alabama. And then the post-visit stuff was a lot of – you know, quotes and comments about, I think that if Quinn Ewers stayed in the game, Texas would won. And the fact that Texas is able to compete with an SEC school with like that, let alone number one Bama, just shows a ton of strides that the program has made. So probably one of the biggest uh, stock up recruitments out of the weekend. Do you want to know what terrified me to write so many times that so many kids told me uh, in the recruit reactions? Was it the Quinn thing? It was the Texas is back. So, oh, yeah. so many kids said that, and I was like, God, I got to write this. And it's, they're not aware of the deep lore. Yeah. It Over was, five it, years old. How crazy is that? You know, it, it's like these things. I, I was thinking about these things the other day because they become part of the regular vernacular. Like when LeBron had the decision and he said, taking my talents too, it was almost like mocked. At, at a certain time. And then now it's like every recruit says it. Um, yeah. And to uh, where, yeah, you're right. You, you are right though. To where like, it was like, Oh, I'm taking my talents to Whataburger. Texas is back. Almost became the same thing of like, right. Oh, well, raising Canes is back. Cause yeah. you know what I mean? It's just, it did almost, it almost became bigger than the thing itself. Yeah. And so I'm looking through kind of a couple of the, comments from guys who were at the game or watched the game. I think the two biggest ones I had uh, was the, co- the quote from Malik Muhammad um, that led with Texas is back for sure. When uh, Quinn being hurt was a big reason why they lost. The Texas defense is way more aggressive. That's a player that they really want to hang on to and the Alabama and a are going to, you know, come really hard after. And 
he's always said, I want to see the defense play more aggressive. I want to see him play better. And seeing him say that I think was big. And then Leona Leifau just basically saying that was a statement game, although they didn't come out on top. I'm sure everyone is aware Texas football is back. The defense was flying around. I'm looking forward to seeing what this team can do and excited to report in January. Uh, you know, we've reported that there, there were some concerns of, are we going to be able to hold on to this guy? But so far, everything's sounding pretty strong there. Yeah, yeah, Mike, absolutely. And we mentioned a lot in the lead up to this that Jalen Hale was a big, oh man, if Alabama blows Texas out, um, <laughs> this could be a little dicey. I felt even more that way for Texas commit Malik Muhammad. So seeing Malik's quote in real time of the Texas v defense was so aggressive, et cetera, that gave me a lot of faith that even if he does take that official visit to Alabama, Texas, you know, is uh, from operating from a place of strength there. And I mean, after seeing Ryan Watts play a nearly flawless game, Malik Muhammad has to feel pretty good about where the Texas defensive, like the potential progression he could have as a player there. Yeah. And anytime we're gathering reactions, people want, you know, did you talk to this guy? Did you talk to this guy? It's like, first of all, if they're not in the article, we didn't talk to him. Yeah. Um, or else they'd be in the article. Second of all, like it's tough. It's hurting cats to get these kids to text you back or, sure. you know, get in touch with them, especially if they're in the stadium, like the, oh, yeah. the, I mean, yeah, exactly. Fans have been in the stadium themselves trying to <laughs> respond to various people. Like, it's not easy. Like, week one, when I was at the Monroe game, I saw Samaje Burrell down on the field. And then I saw a kid I couldn't quite recognize from our seat. So I texted Samaje and said, like, hey, who's that next to you? And he texted me back, like, three days later and was like, hey, sorry. Like, I didn't even see this because I didn't have service in, in, the, uh, in the stadium. Um so, yeah, it's getting those kids, it's always tough. But I, uh, Malik Muhammad was getting ready for his game against yep. Soto. A lot of those guys were watching that in the locker room. And he texted me back. I, I texted him and Jonte and Billy Walton and Trey Weisner, the four guys playing in that game. And Jonte and Malik got back to me within five minutes. So they were obviously excited to talk about it. Man, that's so awesome. I mean, that that's the stuff that makes you really excited. You mentioned that uh, a lot of the people, in the, which it's completely understandable as a fan to be like, hey, status update on this player who I don't see a quote from. Like, it's human nature. But the amount of times that I unfortunately had to respond like, hey, we haven't heard from Damon Wilson yet, did kind of break my heart. Like, yeah, you know. it's like, guys, trust me, if we had a Jalen Hill reaction quote, it'd be in there. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's take a quick break. You'll hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the UTSA visitor list, uh, kind of what's going forward, and then a little bit about the 23 and 24 class. And thank you to our sponsors for. We love them. Yeah. Whatever they're selling, uh, buy it. We advocate for it. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I'm using their product right now. Yeah, I mean, their product has changed my life in many ways. Um, I think the product, by the way, is just like the CBS Fantasy Football podcast or something. But. Well, I'm using it. I love their insight. Uh, so UTSA in town this week. You mentioned this earlier in the week that, hey, you know, just because of a little bit of the excitement and because of some guys that weren't able to make the game, this UTSA visitor list has – 
a little bit more punch than a game against a G5 would typically have. Yeah. Um, some of the headliners, we believe Cedric Baxter is going to be there. I haven't confirmed it with him. Uh, Derek Williams, we think, will be there. Jordan Johnson or Bell, those are kind of the headliners. That's an interesting one. JJR, Jordan Johnson or Bell out of IMG Academy. I'm really intrigued to see how that visit goes. And that's Fort Worth's own originally before yep. going to IMG. So a, a Texas kid uh, from Brewer High School in White Settlement near Fort Worth and um, – before he transferred. And I think a guy that Texas really made a move with in the summer. Definitely. And he and I have been texting back and forth during, you know, during before and after the Alabama game. And he, he was really excited. He was bummed because IMG was playing a weekend game in Salt Lake city or else he would have been there. Um, so going to make it in this week. I'm excited to see kind of where things are with him coming out of the weekend. And Mike, those are the recruitments that kind of what I was talking about earlier in the week where the guys who weren't able to go and then were excited and then, you know, see all of their friends posting Instagram stories from the game, it just fuels them to be at the next available chance to be in Austin. And I think that is one reason why you've seen Steve Sarkeesian, a bunch of the athletics uh, department staffers being like, hey, we need DKR rocking like that all the time because the ripple effects are tangible and real when it comes to recruiting. And in the game, I mean, I yeah, oh, absolutely. Like, if you can create that environment each and every week, it, it's something special for the team and for recruits. Um, we, we're still working on confirming names for UTSA. If we get any more, we're not going to post a full visitor list probably, but if we get some interesting ones, we'll of course update those on the board. Absolutely. Uh, as as it relates to the twenty twenty three class. Um, I think, and I said this kind of going into the weekend, that this game had a lot more potential, I think, for the future classes for 2024 and 2025, just because the, the guys in 23 are further along in their process and you've got, you had a chance to make an impact with some of those younger guys. When we're talking about the ceiling for this 2023 class, like can Texas land Damon Wilson or Jordan Hall or Jalen Hale or Cecilia Kana? The thing I find most interesting is their remaining board is all big targets. Like it's Absolutely. all big additions to this class. It's no, you it's know, Robinson. like every, yeah, you're, you're, you're waiting on highly rated prospects to each one. So the ceiling is tremendous. Will it be enough to get them to number one? I don't know. Uh, yeah. But I do think, you know, it probably is enough to keep them in that top three range. If they can hit that ceiling. Top three, I think is the realistic ceiling and top five feels like not the floor, but the most likely outcome. And if you want to be conservative, that's probably uh, makes the most sense. Because again, like you said, I mean, there's a real, there's a real possibility that Texas could land. I'm just doing the mental math in my head, like five plus top 75 ish players. Yeah. It's it's not off the table. I think Damon Wilson and Jordan Hall, are they longer shots? Yeah. Yeah, a longer shot, but they're in those races. Absolutely. And if you can land one, maybe two, it's it's pretty encouraging. In addition to the fact that we know this come December, crazy stuff happens on the coaching carousel. Not even just head coaches, but if coordinators get other jobs, if position coaches move on. And we know that Steve Sarkeesian is uh, he has the spatula out come December and is ready to flip some guys. Yeah, that's uh, like I said, I reported kind of a couple months ago, coach telling me that 
he almost felt Steve Sarkeesian was better in a role to flip a guy than he was to originally land him. It's just something about, you know, his kind of approach and the way he closes. So we'll, we'll kind of see how it shakes out. Anything else you want to add on this game experience, you know, going forward? What do you think? Um, I guess one last thing. I'm curious what the ceiling is going to be for 2024 with no clear idea who the quarterback take is going to be. Do you like it is top five reasonable if we aren't sure? Because a lot of times the quarterback is the bell cow, or especially for Steve Sarkeesian, is going to be one of, if not the most highly rated guy. So I'm just is top five recruiting just the expectation almost, or how do you manage that, Mike? I'm curious what your thoughts are. I think it needs to be. Now, I think you can get there without a bell cow quarterback. I think because you know. Arch Manning is going to have a, I think, one to two year effect on guys where, you know, and, and this is kind of what kids are realizing more and more. If you're Jonte Cook, you don't need to be worried as much, I don't think, about the quarterback in your class as you do the quarterback that's on campus. If you're a guy that, that we, you know, you're, you think I'm going to come in and play right away you know, it's good to have Quinn Ewers. And then uh, hopefully in the later part of my career, Arch is dead, you know, but I think that when you're talking about landing those elite guys, it's not as much of a need if you've got a stocked quarterback room on campus already. Absolutely. Do we want to add a uh, Highland Park zone guy Frazier to the mix? Yes. The, the, the pride of the park cities is uh Waiting online, Guy, how's it going? And uh, we would like you to give us the report on how electric the stadium was on Saturday. Yeah, I'm doing good, fellas. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a fun week, and honestly, just really excited to get back down to Austin um, this upcoming Saturday. And I think a lot of that's just because it was – I mean, despite the loss, it was just such a, a dang good time this past Saturday. Um I think y'all kind of touched on most of it, but I mean, yeah, it was, the energy was palpable. You could, you could feel it in the air. It was very much a, a true thing. To, to the point where guy, you were firing me up pregame saying, let's go win the dang ball game. Who cares about being competitive? Like the energy was palpable enough for where you were getting me fired up. I'm curious guy. Was that kind of the sentiment of the, the crowd, the people around you? Was it like, I think I woke up that morning going, you know what? Screw it. Maybe they can win. Like, I think everybody kind of talks themselves into that scenario where people pretty much pessimistic going into it around you. No, I thought it was a really like positive energy for being an 11 a.m. game. Typically, you know, Texas fans can kind of be slow arriving, especially for a kickoff like that. It's it can be a spoiled fan base to an extent. And, you know, I'm definitely a part of it. But um the students especially showed the up. The students, though, when I saw the tweets at like 8.30 or what oh. was it, 8.30? And they were already like I mean, filling it up. It might have been earlier, dude. It was oh, like yeah, 5.30. I was like, That's a really good, around the corner. Well, that too. But, I mean, there's just a bunch of really good signs that it was going to be a, a good day regardless. Uh, you know, them getting blown out had that happened, that probably would have dampered some of that. But the energy was good heading into it. And, you know, I kind of have to watch myself the whole week. I kind of tell everybody what – they want to hear, which is the group think thought of they're just going to get killed. And I, I, you know, I could see it happening, but part of me inside was like, I think we're going to at least push them around a little bit and hang for a half or three quarters. I, this whole, it's going to be a 50 point game at halftime. I just didn't buy into that. Um, and then, and then as we got to the morning of, I was like, let's just go win the damn thing. And we almost did, you know, and, and, 
my my mother Susie, she was with me when when Bert hit the field goal, and I, there's a minute nineteen left or whatever. I was like, there's way too much time. Yeah, but I'm like in my you know because we're we're packed in like sardines. Um, I'm like pacing in my little you know. <laughs> two inch by two inch space. I couldn't stay still. My mom looked at me and she just started laughing. Cause I was like, uh, and I said something like, are you laughing at me? And she said, yes. Cause like I was just having about out of body experience. Cause I, you know, I, I think I tweeted, if we win this, I'll legitimately cry. You know, I just, you get tired of being, you know, made fun of and, and you're just the, the butt end of the joke in college football. And there's a lot of pride with that, you know? Um, I, I so. don't know. I don't know if you saw it guy, Mike, I'm pretty sure you saw it. Was it not wild to see all to watch the college football fan base at like, or at large, just defending Texas with like the, Oh my God, Texas can't catch a yes. break. And like, wasn't that just such a weird uh, phenomenon? Like seeing a lot of the same people that would typically be hating on that, you all that would come to the bat for you. Lout farm Texas for negative right. interactions. We're being like, Oh man, throwing the horns down after being a 20 point favorite and barely escaping with a win after their quarterbacks get injured. And I was just like, what is this feeling? Right. Yeah. I mean, all yeah. of a sudden there was like this sense of respect around the program, you know, so, that's perfectly put. Here's my last question about the game guy, because we talked about this on the talking Texas podcast, which will come out tomorrow. Um, We've almost like talked ourselves into this was a success, even though it was a loss. Yeah. What was the mood of just the conversations you heard leaving? Like, were people like, oh man, uh, you know, they played a hell of a game, credit to them, or were people like really disappointed about the loss? Yeah, I, I think the people who were disappointed about the loss were just showing their competitive juices as, as fans. Like, they just, they thought the team fought so hard. They wanted it for them. So they were disappointed for the team. It wasn't like a disappointment like they were let down or, or they were down on the team. I mean, that I don't know if you could hear it on the TV, but there was a legitimate applause for the team as they walked off the field into the um, south end zone tunnel. Oh, I got so you. that doesn't happen down there very often for that a loss like that, if ever, really. Um there's usually a lot of moping faces and uh, we're just in the same rut we've been in for the last 12 years. And all of a sudden there's this thunderous applause. And it was like, uh, it was just a really cool moment. It wasn't, we're, we're taking this as a win. No, it was a loss, but you can kind of feel the, the legit growth happening within the program. I think we've had moments like that in the past, but it always felt like, especially looking back, it was kind of on a flimsy basis. And this somewhat feels legitimate. Um, you got to get some people healthy and you can't go lay an egg this weekend. But I think you can, you can build on this, you know, And as you all kind of talked about. Uh, there was a lot, of, a lot of substance to that win. Like it wasn't yeah. a fluky, you know, I sure I think Alabama played below their normal level, but Sure. It wasn't like, a, oh, all these things happened. And I like talking to people. I talked to a source in the college football world who was like, hey, Texas outcoached them by a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think when you have a basis like that to go on, it is a lot stronger than, you know, there was a year uh, the case McCoy beats Oklahoma year was like, yeah, good for the team. But it was like very clear, like a lot of things happened. Texas jumped on them early. And I think Oklahoma had no clue what was going on. And, and that felt like a little more fool's gold of a win than, than like just a true, a true win. But 
All right. Well, uh, it's, it, it, I mean, it goes back to the thing. Had Alabama blown us out, we would have been talking about how they just coached circles around the Texas staff and Alabama did what they typically do. You know, Texas made Alabama look out of the sorts to an extent, one, because of the environment, which was fantastic. And two, they, they, they coached a really good ball game across the way and made Alabama uncomfortable. So, you know, no bias. You have to give a little bit of a tip of the cap, right? So, again, I, I think you can build on all that. It, it was a fun Saturday, though. L- looking forward to the UTSA game. All right, Hudson, uh, you want to recap us on last week? Absolutely. We'll go through this a little bit quicker than the past. So, Mike, you and I are tied at the top at 10 and 5. Guy, you were at eight and seven. Mike, three and two last week. Hudson and Guy, both two and three. Some tough moments, including two games where we all picked the loser. We'd only picked the same games once before, or the same winner once before. And the two times we do it this past week, or I guess two of the three, it ends up being uh, going the opposite way. Even though I will say in our analysis, we did mention that these were going to be closer. So, Y'all were at, I believe, the Lovejoy-North Crowley game where North Crowley made a big statement across the state. Anything real quick on that one since you saw it in person? I'm going to talk about a lid of substance for for a program um, kind of along the same lines. It wasn't a, oh, you know, Lovejoy just just gave the game away. It was North Crowley went out there and punched them in the mouth. They, they played really good defense. Like, I was so impressed with – the pressure they put on the quarterback, the way they defended in the secondary, the way they tackled, and they did enough on offense. And they had a dude in Camorian Pimpton, the, the Vanderbilt commit, who just went crazy in the first half. So um, big win for Ray Gates in his first year at North Crowley, a friend of the program. Uh, he was so excited afterwards. And just watching him on the sideline kind of celebrate that win. It, as the time was ticking down, I didn't hate losing the pick. Yeah, I'll add on, you know, Mike and I, because of my schedule this year, I kind of just tag along with Mike to a lot of games, not really doing my own thing as much. So with that being said, Mike and I have seen a lot of stinkers this year together. I think that was by far our most competitive game, at least we've taken in together this year. Probably the best game. Um, I don't know. You had the new stadium opening up. You had a a program that's kind of solidified themselves versus a program trying to punch their way into that conversation. And then it was just, you know, a really fun competitive game. So, I don't know. That was a well Thursday night spent uh, with Mike. And there was some recruit aspects to it and just good high school football as well. And the new stadium rules. Like, it's going to be a great, I think, playoff venue. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the the baby Kyler of high school uh, stadiums up there in North Crowley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for, the, for the hardcore recruit Knicks, too, Camorian Pimpton from uh, North Crowley, the six foot six tight end, probably will end up on the fringe four star watch, even though he is a Vanderbilt commit and was a little bit under the radar heading into the his senior season. But man, you want to talk about a guy whose stock is just rising and that Vanderbilt staff with Clark Lee is going to have a tough time ha- uh, hanging on to him. We're moving on to Galena Park, North Shore just absolutely flexing on a spring Westfield team that we think a lot of really big win for the uh, East side Mustangs. And then we got to the worst bowl where by the time it hit the second quarter, even though I was the only one on the podcast that picked the new Braunfels unicorns, I couldn't root against my uh, against our collective guy, Deuce and Eli Adams and Canyon 
with an absolutely thrilling win in the worst bowl over the New Braunfels Unicorns. Just really encouraging stuff to see uh, 2024 quarterback Deuce Adams have a kind of statement game. And uh, I think a guy you might know the exact year. I don't think Canyon had won that rivalry game since 2014 or so. Yeah, I don't remember the exact year, but I do remember going back and researching that last week. It's been a while. And, I mean, if you just know your high school football a little bit, it's not like Comal Canyon's ever been like a cornerstone program in the Central Texas region. You know, they're just kind of another program along the way. And I would say this is kind of the first time they've really had some legitimate recruits come through there, and and it seems like there's something kind of growing there, something brewing. So, and I would think that's maybe the best rivalry game within that or best game within that rivalry, maybe ever. Um, It was a banger. It was, I mean, a lot, a lot building up going into it and it lived up to it. So, by the way, following our discussion last week of names, what, what is it? Comal, is it New Braunfels Canyon, all that got a message from Kyle who listens to the show who said that uh, in the New Braunfels Canyon uh, Comal discussion as a unicorn grad, Comal Canyon makes more sense because they are in Comal ISD or New Braunfels High Schools in New Braunfels, New Braunfels ISD, but in town they're just called Canyon. Okay, okay. that makes sense. So going forward, we'll have that note. Um, all of us picked the Amarillo Tascosa Rebels prevailing over the 6A Odessa Permian Panthers. A little bit of a weird game. As we called, this one would finish early, and it was by far one of the earliest Friday night games. Uh, Permian getting the win 13-12, to and from what I was told by some people uh, watching the game, it it seemed like Tuscosa was probably the better team. And But when you play those type of rock fight games, that can happen. Uh, moving on to the last one, and we can take 30 minutes on this one if you guys want. The Timpson Bears – take a sledgehammer to the 3A uh, number three, formerly number three ranked Dangerfield Tigers and kind of just blow the doors off of them. That was the, that was the one that um, I kind of needed as I picked Timpson, Mike picked Timpson and guy picked Dangerfield. So I wouldn't finish last that, uh, that week. Listen, you've got me so in on Timpson over the last year that I'm like, now I'm wake up every day in my little Timson Bear pajamas, and <laughs> and I'm like, this is the year. And if if they don't pull it off this year, I'm setting myself up for heartbreak. Absolutely, and considering the fact that they went up a classification and on the road and beat Dangerfield like that, I mean, it's going to be tough to beat Timson. But you it's, know, Shiners beat them the say. past two. Years. I think that, and we met two of those games for picks last week. Are the two teams playing? I mean, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but like North Shore and Timson just look like in their classes on another level from everybody else right now. Yeah. And the only other team that I'd probably consider would be, I guess, Longview and Carthage, maybe, even yeah. though Carthage seems to have a little bit of offensive question marks. And with Longview, I'd like to see him get through the Lufkin game against. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but a Lufkin team that is really impressive. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. This is very anti how I usually operate, but are we going to get to state week and kind of have just a couple mail-in games where they're so dominant getting there, we kind of know how things are going to end? With, with Timpson specifically, the team I picked them to beat in the state title who could have easily been on the pick this week in Hawley, 
I think could give Timson a run or China or whoever comes out of that side. Holly looks really good on the other side of things. I don't know, guy, I'm kind of with you, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of times some of the games we think could be mail-ins end up the other way. Like a lot of people thought that, uh, Lorena was going to get bludgeoned by Brock last year, and it was kind of the flip side and of the coin. Brock did their Brock shtick, which is fall short, the big one. <laughs> and Mart, Mart, and uh, Winthors comes to mind as like a game that we were like, why are we even watching yeah. that? Yeah. So, and then true. becomes an iconic moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Hey, before we get into the picks, because I'm watching the clock here, let's take one more break. We'll hear from those great sponsors again, and we'll come back with the picks. All right. It is uh, – are, are we through our recap, Hudson? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Guy was a little bit busy today, so I don't want him to take the blame if you hate the picks. These are my picks, and Guy, I'll leave it to you. Okay. Um, I'll let you start. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, some angst in this one. Uh, first game of the slate. Is uh, 7 p.m. Thursday at the Irving House of Pain, um, the number 10 team in 6A, the Highland Park Scots, uh, who enter this week 3 0, will make the short 20 minute drive west uh, to face off with uh, Mike's old stomping grounds, <laughs> the Irving Tigers, who are 1 1 heading into this week. 1 1. Yeah, they did win. Uh, I was with Mike. I actually broke the news to Mike when they won a couple weeks ago. I forgot who they beat. Yeah. But um, but was it Pascal? Who who was it that they beat, Mike? Uh, that would be South Garland. South Garland. Okay. Yeah, Pascal's three and zero actually. Yeah, okay, never mind. Uh, anyway, Highland Park enters this game as a forty-six point favorite according to the Dave Campbell's computer. Um, what what's the wheel say, Hudson? Who's going first here? Oh, apologies. Uh, real quick, as I'm uh, <laughs> filibustering to spin the wheel because I did forget about that job. Um. In addition, because this is such a pick'em game, for the integrity of the show, we will also be picking the spread of 46 points. Um, and if you lose the spread pick, it won't go in your loss. You can only win a bonus point for this one. But, again, if you didn't pick up on it, guys Highland Park Scots against Mike's alma mater, the Irving Tigers. Can you guys see what I'm doing right now? I'm putting on the new paint for this one. Okay, am I going first here, Hudder? Looks like I am. The wheel is spoken. Okay, the wheel's spoken. Um, I, I'm going to keep this short. No bias towards my alma mater, Highland Park. Uh, I think Highland Park wins this game big. Uh, I, I, you know, I think there's too many weapons on both sides of the ball that's going to give Irving some trouble. You know, if this game was back in, in Mike's day of the early 2000s, late 90s, and we had like the Golds walking around or the Hall brothers or uh, – you know, uh, a drawn Tunnel or Winford Tunnel, any of those guys, I might say, oh, we got a ball game here or, or Tyson Thompson, but we don't. It's, it's rougher days at Irving High. And uh, I, I think Brennan Storr and company gets the job done this week. Uh, and Randy Allen picks himself up another win. Uh, as far as the spread, I will take the points. And I think uh, Highland Park will cover. Okay. Are you trying to tell me that? Uh that uh, Daryl Washington's not walking through that door. <laughs> Correct. Yes. <laughs> and oh. Mike Roach isn't walking through that door. Oh, there we go. The what best the box safety in Irving High history. Oh, man. Um, 
<laughs> I'm next on the wheel. To make it quick, Highland Park and the 46. If Irving covers Mike, I almost want to give you some sort of like pro, like belt or something. Like oh. if they find a way just to lose 45 to three. Listen, it will be talked about next week. It will be treated as a win. It's a perception win. Big time. It's a big, big perception win. Like the, I, uh, could you imagine if Highland Park just plays like the worst game ever? And it's just like a, they just kind of stumbled on like a 23 to 3 win or something. The dog fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be insufferable. <laughs> Would you post the Tiger? No, I don't think you can get away with that. Uh, That's got to be sacred for the win. But um, listen, I'm guessing Hudson, you've 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 given your pick there. Oh yeah, I sorry, I thought I said Highland Park and the 46. Okay, um, it's 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 listed on our sheet here as the IHOP. That's the unofficial unofficial name that we used to call it, the Irving House of Pain. The unofficial name for it is ISS, Irving School Stadium. That's what it shall always be known as, even though they renamed it Joy and Ralph Ellis Stadium, and I don't even know who those people are. It's ISS. When you come down to the south side, guy, things change a little bit. You get out from behind the gates of the Park Cities. You take that turn on 6th Street in South Irving, and you pull into those gates, and, uh, you know, you better be ready for a war. And... Uh, I wish this was a soccer game. If it was a soccer game, I'd feel a lot more confident. Um, I'm going to take Highland Park and and the 46. (laughs) We did discuss beforehand just kind of fudging the picks and me just taking everything and everybody else taking an automatic loss somewhere else. But that, that goes against the integrity. I feel like it's an insult to the wheel. Agreed. Well, there's even the thought that Mike and I maybe make a, a last second audible and wear our, our Leatherman jackets and, and go to the game and be those two I mean, guys. If I can find one. I'm at my parents' house right now, last week of the move. Um, and I think it may be here somewhere, but well, that'll be something to look out for tomorrow night. I'm sure the group text will be fun. I'm actually not going to a game, so I'll be watching the stream of this. So I'm curious. I don't to see understand what why. Like. Huh? I said I don't understand why you would watch that. That's yeah, so there, there's three TVs in my room. One of them can okay, be occupied. If somehow Irving takes like a two to nothing lead on a safety, <laughs> and, then just, and then just plays keep away, and it ends the quarter two to nothing, I might post the tiger. Yeah. Also, coach, take them to the bus. Get out of there. Yeah, talk to the stadium manager, get the lights shut down, whatever you have to do. <laughs> some some home cooking. Yeah. Make them come back and play that game Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, are we moving on? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think the people have heard enough about Irving. That's probably the longest uh Scuttlebutt will go on a game like that all year as far as the actual optics of the game. But there's there's, there's stakes here. There's no, there are some high-level stakes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Moving on to Friday. Well, uh, so, hold on. Yep. Uh, we we talked about Irving a little bit last week at our at our game, North Crowley. We were there with our friend Matt Stepp. 
And like uh, for people who don't know, and we're just kind of doing the show for ourselves at this point, but Irving is legitimately probably one of the worst teams in 6A. Um, the demographics have changed in the city and, and it's not been kind to the football team. Matt Step asked me, like, could you imagine if Irving made some miracle run and like went to state? Like, how would you be? And then he asked me, people know my disdain for MacArthur, our crosstown rival. He asked me if I would rather an Irving state championship or a MacArthur 0 and 10. And I think the easy answer is a state championship, but the 0 and 10 was tempting. The only thing I came with is like nobody really remembers the 0 and 10 like a year or two later. Um, they remember the state championship. So real quick before we move on, Hudson, I don't know who Liberty is it Huffman Hargrave? Is that the big rival? Is that the chief rival? Yeah, right now, yeah. Long term, it would probably be uh, Bridge City or Barbers Hill or, you know, either two towns closest, Dayton and Harden, you have some you have some beef with. But probably right now, the team I hate the most is Huffman Hargrave. So I'll pose to you the same question. Would you rather a Huffman Hargrave 0-10 or a Liberty Panthers state championship appearance? Liberty Panthers state championship appearance. Yeah, I think that's the easy. Also, you know, if Liberty had had a lot more success than – then. Yeah, but the that hater would, in me, that would be a program best. The hater in me was intrigued by a MacArthur. You know, if you gave me like a Huffman Owen ten for the next twenty five years, you know, you start to think. Um, but do we want to move on to the next? Yeah, let's move on. Yeah, I, I don't even think I can answer that question because le- legitimately everybody hates us. We're everybody's Super Bowl, so we don't. We Tim have rivalries too. Yellow brick road ends. <laughs> We'll see about that. We'll see about that. All right. Game number two on the slate, 7 p.m. Friday. Um, we head out west to what was formerly known as Grande Communication Stadium in Midland. Doing some quick research before we hit play tonight. I think it's now the Astound Broadband Stadium. Not sure if that was changing ownership rights or what. But either way, we go to Midland for the number eight team in 6A, the Cibolo Steel, uh, where they're Knights, uh, who are 3-0, make the trip to face off with the Midland Legacy Rebels, who are 2-1. Uh, Steel enters this game as a – let's see, is this – they're the – I guess they're the two-point dog. This is the correct way to yeah, do it. Yeah, this is the correct way to do it. Okay, so they're a two-point dog in this game. Will spoke, and Hudson will go first, Mike will go second, and I will follow up with the uh, tail end pick. I thought it was really interesting, Guy, that Steele is a two-point dog considering the games that they've won to start the year. Obviously, beating uh, probably the best – the preseason best team in San Antonio with San Antonio Brennan, make a statement there. Then they beat Lake Travis in a game that, on on a statewide level, I'm really not sure got enough – as much uh, pub as it should have, considering the San Antonio-Austin dynamics. We mentioned as one of our – Three thoughts, I think, two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure it was yours that just it seems to be a little bit of a San Antonio renaissance. And Cibolo Steel is one of the teams at the forefront of it. And I don't know. I really like this team. I think Chad Warner has been really good. Gabe Brooks really loves the Tulane linebacker commit. Uh, Makai Williams, that's somebody that I think could be a senior riser, end up at a bigger program than Tulane. The computer putting Steel as a two-point dog, because they're on the road, I can kind of see it making sense, and it, it will be a long drive out there to Midland. So there is some um, on a neutral field. Um, 
or in San Antonio, I think that it's steel without any hesitation for me. But considering that Marcos Davia is one of the better quarterbacks um, in 6A football, I've kind of gone back and forth, but I'm going to go with the Steel Knights. I think the point you made about the travel is probably the biggest thing that sticks out to me. Yeah. And especially with legacy coming off of a tough loss, um, I think that that's a team that is primed for a bounce back. I like Steel, and I think that we are going to eventually see Steel return to be that state power um, that they have been in, in previous years. I just think maybe this year's a year too early, and that's a that's a big game environment for a lot of young players. So I'm going to take legacy in this one. Great points, Mike. Yeah, so I think this game is is you know really is a, a you know two point spread pick them game. I mean it, it's it's freaking frack. I don't think you can go wrong. Um, I think this game and our next game that we'll mm-hmm. eventually get to have the common thread of traveling west and. I think between the two games, I like Steele's chances to go travel west and, and pick up a win like this, uh, just because I think the program's built to do something like that. Um, and, you know, going back to what I said a couple weeks ago, San Antonio football might be back this season to some extent. And San Antonio football is good when a program like Steele is rolling. Um, and a name that's kind of popped up on my radar the last couple weeks is Chad Warner, the quarterback at Steele, 2025. He's completed 80% of his passes this year. Uh, for around 750 yards, nine touchdowns, no picks. I mean, he's been flawless. Um, and then you've got someone like Marcos Davia, who his career has kind of been a roller coaster at times. But give him credit, he's opened up a can of whoop-ass this year so far and had another big game last week. So in uh, a bounce-back game after they lost to Tascosa a couple weeks ago. So you got two good quarterbacks. Um and, and then you've got the the West Texas draw to all this. And so I, I, that's kind of what I'm fumbling around in my head. And, and eventually I think I'm just going to go with the home team here. Uh, give me the Rebels. I like how that program's run. It's um, very blue-collar-esque with some talent. Uh, they've got uh, some good secondary talent as well. So there's just some things I like about this game for Midland Legacy. And so in the end, I guess I'll pick them. But, again, I don't think you can go wrong with either. I think it's a, a really good game Friday night. I love the point about the fact that they are a blue collar program, even though they do sling the ball around a ton, because it almost reminds me of a team that Texas fans will get a preview of next week and Texas tech and what Joey McGuire is trying to build there, right? Where it is a blue collar uh, culture and philosophy to where they want to build from, but also with a guy like Zach Kitley as OC, you are going to be throwing the ball. And I don't know, that's just a really good point. And I did want to mention one more name, uh, Cibolo Steel has a 2025 athlete in Royal Capel that I think will be a Power 5-level talent. There you go. Okay. So what was the breakdown there? Um, Hudson Steel, Mike and Guy Legacy. Okay. Okay. Moving on to game number three. Um, we, we go out west again, so here's here's the next game I was kind of alluding to. Uh, we've got the Clean Harker Heights Knights, who are 3-0. They will travel west, take on the Odessa Permian Panthers, who are also 3-0. So you've got a couple of unbeatens in 6A, uh, 7 p.m. Friday at historical Ratliff Stadium. Uh, So fun environment, should be intense. Um, Harker Heights enters this game as a one-point favorite. Thought that was Uh, interesting. Another frickin' frack, you know, pick-em type game. 
Uh, Mike will go first, I will go second, and Hudson will follow up. So I'm going to totally disregard everything I said about the travel for this oh, one. I love it. I love it. Um, because I do think that this Harker Heights team is led by more – it's a senior-heavy team rather than a sophomore-heavy team. Um, and I do think that they've got a little more juice offensively when you look at a guy like Rashawn Sanford and things like that than what you can see from from Permian, who, who just wants to ground you into the dirt. Um, can their defense hold up is a big question for me. I don't have a great answer on what Harker Heights' defense looks like, but I am going to put my faith in the Knights and uh, roll with them this week. Yeah, so I'm going to roll with my my logic from the previous uh, game in that, um, I, you know, I kind of mentioned I thought between the two teams that were going to have to come out of Central Texas and travel west, I thought Cibolo Steel was the better built for this. Um. I like Harker Heights a lot. Everybody knows that Hudson and I were probably two of the biggest Rashawn Sanford fans out there and still are. Um, so I expect him to do his part. Um, I like his his compadre in the backfield over there at Heights as well. Uh, what's his name? It's another I can't remember, but it's a thunder and lightning dynamic. A, For those it who is. familiar with Houston and Rashawn Sanford, he's about five foot five. I cannot remember his name. Uh, Amir Washington. Yeah, Amir Washington. Really good player. Yeah, he's like 5'11", 200 pounds. Not near the wheels Rashawn has, but he can run. So it is a thunder-lightning type deal. Um, and you got uh, Jane Chapman up front. So th- there's some pieces there. They probably have the more talented team. I just kind of think I'm going to look up Friday and see that Permian ends up winning this game. Um, yeah. I just don't think Harker Heights as a program is built to make this long of a road trip and get off the bus and be awake for it. Yeah. Prove me wrong. I'd much rather see them win. I'm, I'm a fan of the program and RS six and all that, but uh, give me, give me, give me Odessa Permian. Really good analysis guy. I think, Which, you a lot of- by the way, shout outs to listener of the show, Abilene Cooper. Great. Chris Heron. I'm going to do that every week. He's going to hate me for that pick because being the Cooper Cougar that he is, he cannot stand. Permian. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Give me Permian. Great analysis guy. Really well put together stuff, but not so fast, my friend. Okay. Now, in actual football game, it would make no sense for this to happen. But in a hell in the cell type matchup between Jaden Chapman and Harris Sewell to to determine who the best offensive lineman in the state is, I'm rocking with the Texas commit. Um, All jokes aside, I think that this Harker Heights offense is pretty dynamic. And even though they haven't had the hottest start to the season – I mean, I just think that this is, like Mike said, this is a senior-led team that has enough speed on both sides of the ball and is going to play at a tempo that Permian might struggle with a little bit, especially when you get a team last week in Amarillo-Tascosa that wants to play at your exact tempo. A lot of times it's the option teams that can kind of dictate, but I don't know. I can see Harker Heights really, uh, with the explosive plays, getting Permian out of sorts and – more than that, I, I am sick of picking uh, games where I end up having to root against the team I want to win. So give me that, give me that ninth head. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So what's the breakdown there? We've got two Harker Heights picks, and then my my solo mojo pick. Yep. You went with both both of the West Texas squads. Mike and I split. Okay. 
Okay. All righty. Uh, our fourth game of our five-game slate will take us to our small school game of the week. Uh, it's a battle of number fours. Um, 4AD1 is number four team in the state. The Corpus Christi Cal Allen uh, Wildcats, who are 3-0, will travel north uh, to face off with 4AD2's number four team, the Cuero Gobblers. Um, 7 p.m. Friday night, Friday night at Gobbler Stadium. Uh, Cuero enters this game as seven-point seven dog. As wow. a home, I understand the classification thing, but that kind of shocks me, to be completely honest. Yeah, I'm not sure I but, agree with that. But again, with the classification difference, that does, you know. And, uh, you know, for the computer goes, Corpus Christi Cal Allen does have a win over uh, a 5A team in Gregory Portland that I'm sure helps their math a lot. So the, the wheel has spoken. Mike will go first. I'll go second. Hudson will follow up once again. I don't have a great feel for either of these teams on a like granular basis. I've been score watching a lot of a lot of their games and both really strong teams. I just think I I hate that spread for Quero at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been so good this year, just on another level of what the, I mean. What they did to Yokum, who granted is dropping down and is not the program Yokum used to be. But I think they put up like 75 or something on them. They did. Probably the biggest uh, result in the history of that rivalry. Yeah, 75 to 6. Give me, man, give me one of the great mascot names in Texas high school football, and I will go with the Gobblers. Truly a Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Well, and really just the Mount Rushmore program. Really, really rich. Well, really, this is two really uh, history-rich programs, but especially Quero. Um, okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't really agree with the spread here by the DCTF computer. Um, I don't know a ton about individual players for either of these teams this year, uh, like maybe years past. Uh, what I do find interesting though, is that Cuero di- does return 13 starters from a team that went to a state semifinal a year ago that I think a lot of us forget at times. Uh, and Jared Fikach is doing a really good job, uh, running this program currently and, and, has got them continuing to move forward uh, with the right momentum. Um, Cal Allen's obviously rolling, doing a good job, coming off a really big win against Corpus Christi Flower Bluff, who is a – what are they, 5AD2 Hudson? Um, I think they D2. were They were punching up a weight class. I, yeah. know I think it is D2. Um, in, the, in years past, the, the Hornets have been D2. But um, either way, that, that did kind of catch my eye. Um, but Cuero typically has a lot of athletes, and I, I just kind of like uh, what they bring to the table here, what I think they'll bring to the table. Um, looks like an explosive offense. So give me the Gobblers at home. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a really good game, but I, just, I, I disagree with DCTF computer. My analysis, I'm glad you uh, touched on Jared Fikach. At Georgetown Eastview, he really had dynamic offenses, but – at a time, you know, and no offense to any of the, but a, a lot of the suburb schools, it is tough to really instill a defensive culture because, like, you just don't have the bodies kind of necessary. And a lot of times the mentality is just to be completely blunt. And going to a football town in Cuero, they've just been opening up cans of whoop ass on people. Like, the first game of the year, they have a matchup against El Campo and Ruben Owens. And 
what was thought to be probably an El Campo 10-ish point favorite game turned into Cuero beating the tar out of them pretty quickly. Yeah, ran them so, out of the paint. Exactly. So, again, even if Cuero was like – like even if Cuero was favored by, you know, 10 or so, like I think it would make sense, right? I, I just – this seems to me like a stylistic matchup that favors them – they're at home and they've just been rolling and I just love what they do on offense. So again, we're, I think this is one of the rare ones where we all pick a dog, but all of us are on Quero. Yeah. I just like how Quero typically throws a lot of speed at you. Just like a lot of those schools kind of in that, that crossroads area of the state uh, do Columbus, uh, Quero, Yoakum in years past um, was Which- it Hallettsville. Yeah, with Jonathan Brooks. With Jonathan uh, Brooks. You know, there's a lot of families that cross down there and then just, you know, long bloodlines of football programs that just have a lot of speed. Uh, And Cal Allen's going to throw, you know, a unique offense at you and all that. But I I just kind of like Cuero's feel in this game. You know, uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, again, if the spread seems weird, wasn't Mike, you might remember this from the podcast. Didn't they say that Corpus Christi Cal Allen for according to the computer might be the number one team in the state for four AD one? Yeah. But I, I think that was the that was the call. So I don't know. It's gonna be a really interesting matchup. And uh, we all like Quero, so we'll see. Moving on to our final game, we've got one of the hotter rivalries in the state, especially East Texas. It's back. Um better than ever after a couple down years. Um, we've got 5AD1's number one team in all the land, the Longview Lobos, 3-0. and um, I guess traveling southwest down the Lufkin to face off with the Panthers, who are a surprising 3-0 and uh, themselves. This game 7.30 p.m. Friday night at Lufkin's A. Martin Stadium. Um, like I said, the last couple of years, um, I'm not, I, I guess they've played. Uh, in non-district, but it, it's just, I, you know, Lufkin's been down. It's just not been the same uh, hostile game that's been in years past. Um, but a lot to look forward to with Lufkin kind of returning to form so far through the first couple of weeks of the season. Uh, the wheel's spoken. Hudson will go first. I'll go second. And Mike will finish us up. I'm so glad I get to go first with this matchup because Guy and I have talked off air a ton about how Lufkin is kind of one of our favorite programs in the state. You want to talk about blue bloods, like historic powers, the Lufkin Panthers in getting this start to the season, when a lot of people heading into the year felt like, Hey, Lufkin's going to be fine in a year or two. They have a ton of young talent. The pack will be back. Don't worry. But it's just, if Todd quick can kind of work some magic to get into the playoffs with a tough district where you have Longview, the number one team in the state. You have uh, Lancaster. You have, you know, Tyler High, who, even though they're 0-3, before the year was thought of as, you know, the traditional program. In addition to the fact that you have Forney kind of on the up, like, it was going to be a tough district. And what did Lufkin do? They opened the season with a win over 6-8 Tyler Legacy. They beat the Tar out of Nacogdoches. And then they go on the road to AM Consolidated and get a um, 17-point win over the Tigers in a spot to where really I think the consensus was that this was a Lufkin lose-by-multiple-possessions game. So 
first off, before I pick Longview, which is going to happen because I think that they're very clearly the best team in 5A, credit to Lufkin. Um, but Jaron Thompson is not walking through that door on Friday night. And Jalen Hale, Taylor Tatum, and the rest of that Willie Nelson, the rest of that Longview Lobo squad looks ready for a state title. Yeah, so to kind of continue on my shtick, Aaron Darks, Des Bryant, Javorski Lane, Jamarcus McFarlane, all those cats aren't walking through that door A Martin Stadium on Friday night. A lot of great names from years past with Lufkin. I think they're starting to return back to that form to some extent, although I think they're probably a year or two away still. Um, But at least the floor is higher than we Yeah, the floor is much higher, and maybe the coaching situation there has settled down a little bit. Um, That's kind of become a hot seat situation in the state. Uh, But regardless of all that, I think, Longview, this is kind of their year, and I think this is going to be a, a special year for the Lobos and, and just kind of what they end up doing ultimately in the end. And I think this is just another step on their path. So um, maybe this game kind of returns back to the rivalry that it's been in years past, and it's hotly contested, but I think Longview ends up getting it done on Friday. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look back and get in years past, Abe Martin's been a tough place for, for Longview, and they haven't they don't, they don't love to play there. Um, that said, I just – I like the the overall talent level of Longview more in this game. I think they're a team on a mission this year, and they're, they're, they're a team that's going to – we think is on a crash course collision uh, collision course for AT&T in December. So I'm going to also roll with Longview here, although I'm hoping it's a great game and kind of really stokes the fires of the rivalry again. I'll be at this game covering it Friday night. Oh, really? Part of yeah, ahead of, <laughs> ahead of Jalen Hale's uh, next week decision, as I as I mentioned. Part of me, it's hard not to see the comparisons with Texas Alabama here. Like, obviously, it's not as big of a rivalry, but just the spot matchup where a team favored by twenty ish that's number one is heading into a pretty raucous stadium in a spot that we're kind of wondering if maybe it could be closer, even though there seems to be a talent disparity. I don't know. Yeah. I would say like after the first two weeks of the season, I was like, okay, Lufkin's had their fun, but now they got A&M console. And I don't think anybody really gave them a shot in that game. And then they walk away winning by multiple scores. And now it's like, Oh, maybe there is some legitimacy, you know, here. So maybe do they pick up another perception win this week? Maybe it's not a W in the column like it was a week ago, but if they just keep it close with Longview, it's another step in that uh, the Panthers are kind of turning things back in the right direction. Because let's be honest, the last couple of years have been pretty stinky. Exactly. Uh, not just for their standards, but just in general. It's just not been good. So, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of things to look for in this game on Friday. Absolutely. Uh, that wraps it up for the picks. For a real quick recap, if you missed it, everybody took Highland Park and the 46 points against Mike's Irving Tigers. I took Cibolo Steel while Mike and Guy went with Midland Legacy. Mike and I went with Colleen Harker Heights on the road at Ratliff Stadium while Guy took Mojo, the Odessa Permian Panthers. Everybody picked Quero. Everybody picked Longview. I feel good not being on an island because I feel like I'm going to split with somebody, you know, in those games where – I think if you're the one team on an island, you've got a chance to – the other two guys can create separation. So I like that when we go different ways, I'm typically not the only guy going one way. 
the wheel has helped for strategy that way too. Like a wheel objectively is just, of course, but I don't know. I think that, I think that the pick segment is the, in its healthiest version that it's ever been. All right. Guy, anything to add before we get out of here? Uh, no, I, I guess we can kind of talk about our schedule this week. Uh, oh yeah. Duh. Great uh, point. Uh, yeah. I, so I'll go first. I don't, I'm not going anywhere. Um, it is, I'm sure people on this podcast are tired of hearing about me moving, uh, but we close on our house uh, today as you're listening to this and they're going to be doing some moving on Friday and Saturday. So this will be an off week for me. The HUD man will be at Denton Ryan Saginaw on Thursday, which earlier in the week I was, you know, Denton Ryan is a school that we always need to check in with. Right. And you might as well just get a quote from Anthony Hill talking about, Hey, you know, Texas looks pretty good. They were in your final two. Any contact there? Talking with some sources and you and I talking about it, Mike, I think that I this is turned into an actually really intriguing game from a scoop perspective for me, right? To where, in addition to Anthony Hill and the rest of the Denton Ryan Raiders, it's it'll be interesting to see uh, kind of his thoughts on the, the recent uh, college football slate. But the game itself, I believe Denton Ryan is favored by 65 against the Saginaw Rough Riders. My Friday game, as I mentioned, the Longview Lobos will be going to Abe Martin Stadium in Lufkin to take on the Lufkin Panthers in an East Texas Classic. This will be the first uh, Longview Lufkin game I've been at since the uh, game at SFA, the playoff game that was an absolute banger. Okay. Oh, you were there. Okay. I, I, I made the trip for that one because I had a feeling it was going to be an all-timer, and boy, it did not. It lived up to it. Yeah. And, and Guy, I, I just have one more thing before you potentially give your schedule or we uh, sign off. Mike and I made a bet on talking Texas football that I'm going to spoil right now for the people uh, that are going to listen to the show a day later, where it was a UTSA spread bet for, I said Texas would cover 12 and a half. Mike took UTSA in the points. I'm curious, just, you don't even have to give an out and out pick, but what's your just initial thoughts? I probably lean with Mike. Okay. I, I, I don't know. I, I need to kind of catch up a little bit. I've been swamped this week, but I, I've heard that UTSA is banged up a little bit, but so are we. Yeah. And I don't know what all that looks like. I'm a little bit behind on the most recent reports, but um, if there is been any since Sunday or Monday, but uh, I don't know. I just kind of feel like they're not going to have a letdown, but I think UTSA is going to scrap in this game. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Texas goes out there and just rolls as much as I like. For sure. UTSA and what Coach Trailer's been doing down there, uh, and my own fandom kind of takes yeah. over there. So we we will wax poetic about Jeff Trailer's job at Texas San Antonio tomorrow, right. Texas. But anyway, Mike, anything else from you? No, I think that'll do it. I'll give my schedule real quick. Um, right. Thursday, I'm not going to a game. Uh, need to catch up on some grad school work, and probably will go work out and just kind of have a night to myself. I, I kind of need it. To catch up um and the slate is just not very good around the state or the dfw area so mike and i were kind of talking about that with hudson before the show and yeah i'm good i'll just stay out of it um and then friday um former co-host of the show nick harris and i are going to go up to melissa to check out the melissa crandall game which i think is their first game of district play for both those 
sneaky banger. Yeah, it is a sneaky banger. It's one that I've kind of had on the list of potential, uh, you know, opportunities to go to. And I think this is a, a good time to go check out some guys in that game. So uh, Nick and I will go see Nigel Smith play uh, Trevor Gooseby. Uh, let's see. Caleb Oatluski, the the linebacker over at Melissa, uh, who's got Samuel Omosigo at Crandall. Yeah, well, and I'm actually kind of going for him. I, I know all the Melissa kids, but I've never seen him play over at Crandall. And after hearing about him for two years, I kind of want to see it for my own my own self and my own eyes. So we'll go see that. I think it's going to be a really good game. Should be a fun environment, uh, and it kicks off district play. So uh, a lot of fun there. And then Saturday, uh, Nick and I, again, I, I'm, we're going to have a little friend trip. We're going to do a down and back for the UTSA game. Had initially told Mike uh, he could join me if he wanted to just to go see Trailer, but with him moving, it just became not a thing. So uh, I actually was going to invite Hudson, uh, but Nick swooped in before I could call Hudson. That kind of turned into that. So, um and I, I'm on clipping duty every week, unfortunately, for the games. Yeah. Slash, you know, recruits react. So I would have had to say no anyway. So I'm glad that our buddy Nick is going to be able to go with you. That's going to be fun. So it's a little bit of a Nick, Nick and Guy double date this week. And we get Friday and Saturday together. So, and then uh, that'll do it. So, yeah. E- easy two game schedule. All right. Well, we appreciate you guys as always, and we'll be back next week. We appreciate everybody for listening, and uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next week.